My name is Sheriff Rowdy, and I started my day in 1879 in the Dakotas, but this little lady says I am now in 1944 France. She's being chased by these men named Nazis. It's like they got the devil. Well, she needs a good partner, and I'm not one to leave someone to fight evil alone. Get the rip-roaring adventure of Cowboys vs. Nazis at MythMart.com or Amazon. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. G'day from Estee. This is Jim here with episode 226 of The World of Mythbits. Hi everyone. Got a weird thing happening at the moment. Uh, I've come down to Adelaide for um, an appointment, the capital city of South Australia, and uh, I've tried to find a quiet spot to um, yeah to try and record this episode, and uh, yeah I found one, but it's got a real weird echoey sort of vibe, which was kind of cool. I think so anyway. So hopefully, Dave, you can uh, you can work your magic and. Um, you can, yeah, make this a uh, a cool-sounding podcast episode. But, right off the top, bit of housekeeping. I uh, haven't really had much come through from Steph or Dave, but I thought I would quickly uh, touch base the... Where are we now? The next publication that's coming out from Dark Myth Publishing, of course, is Cowboys vs. Nazis by uh, the wonderful author Walter G. Esselman. So that should be out Monday the 5th of June. It's a Dark Myth publication, uh, definitely not one for kids, but um, for those of us that love a really, really good story, that's... Uh, Definitely one that, um, yeah, we should definitely be getting into, definitely getting our support behind. Uh, also, um, jumping on mythmart.com, make sure that you check out the book of the month again. Uh, the books are going great, which is wonderful, so uh, make sure that we, uh, we keep purchasing those, which is really good. But don't forget the t-shirts. And, uh, and make sure that you get your order for your T-shirt in the horror theme T-shirts that uh, that are out now. Make sure that you get those in ASAP so that they can be sent out to you in time for October and for Halloween. So, um, yeah, on to today's episode then. So, I've yesterday I've had this amazing experience with uh, our First Nations uh, local indigenous uh, where um, 
we have been looking at reconciliation. It's reconciliation week here in uh, in Australia, uh, and the the special thing that's happened with actually uh, the library's been a host. The library where I work has been a host to um, the recording of an amazing podcast about two indigenous young men that actually went over to France for uh, to fight for Australia in World War One, and sadly passed away. And so they're actually buried over there, away from country and away from land, and the incredible podcast, which is called uh, Walking Between Two Worlds, is all about those two young men, uh, the effects that their passing had on family, but also the why they may have gone to war, why they may have wanted to fight for a country that, at the time, I mean, you can sort of say even now, we uh, we don't give our First Nations people, not all of us, give our First Nations people the respect, uh, the respect for knowledge, the respect for um, connection to country, the... Um, the laws they've got, there's this, their own society that they've got, um, that sort of thing. The, yeah, it's having worked with a few of our local elders, um, developing programs which try and encourage the sharing of language and the sharing of culture, um, meeting with the elders, being being given that honour, that access. Um, it's, yeah, it's very, very special. And I think the, the opportunities to be able to do that have sort of changed my experience, changed my understanding of who these people are and how far back that culture goes and what happens when culture disappears. So one thing that I, I wanted to sort of focus today's episode of the podcast on is culture, the importance of culture, um, and how stories from culture help to shape it and help to share it. Uh, because stories and songs uh, and language is very important. It's it's identity. Uh, so you can sort of look at the look at it from a um, fantasy world perspective, I suppose, or even from the, the prospect of writing fiction, you have to create a society, create a culture. Um, it's like the, the, the crux, the, the bare bones. It's what makes somebody who they are and what connects people together. It's, yeah, yes. And the, the experiences of being exposed to that culture and discovering a, another language um, that's there locally within my community, uh, I think is incredible. 
uh, with like Nuliandu, uh, Nuliandu is the Nanaduri term for welcome, welcome to this place, welcome to this country. But it's also used as a, a greeting. It's almost like a, it's not just a hello, I don't think, but it's, yeah, it's, you see people that you haven't seen for a long time, or you see people that you, you love very much. Nuliandu is the, the term you use. And nakin, nakin, yeah, nakin is, is seeing you or I see you. Uh, aninti, aninti is the word for, for thank you. Yeah, it's, and it's dis- discovering these elders that come along to story time to actually share in this culture and then to, to discover that some of them are very, they, they've worked with language with re, uh, bringing language back into community, uh, while others, other elders or others that are, um, from that, Group of in, indigenous from from the Nurundjeri. I'm sure that it's common with other um, indigenous as well. The, um, the the knowledge of language, the confidence with language, isn't there anymore because they haven't been taught it. We didn't teach it in our schools. We didn't teach any anything about our our First Nations. I I know for myself in uh, Australian studies that I did. Um, and I'm what the, is, okay, was there anything? I can't really recall it, but I, I know that my kids growing up, their exposure to those sort of stories, to the, um, the discussion and the learning about Aboriginal people and First Nations people, is uh, is starting to become much, much more important, which I think is amazing. It's incredible, and it's it what it's what needs to happen. And I think if we want to see a change in uh, racist commentary, and uh, we we need to expose people to these cultures, to these stories, to the the incredible what 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 these people have to offer and what these people are losing by not or what we're losing by not sort of exploring that learning about it uh, talking about it all the time um, yeah I, I think yeah I just think it's incredibly important. Uh, and I, I'm happy to see that it's starting to happen with the current generation of, of students. Uh, and that was something that was such a thrill to be a part of that project, even though it was like the very start and the very end, it was sort of like a, we were approached and somebody asked, can we use the library to record stories? It's like, yeah, by all means, we'll find you a room, we'll find you a place, we'll find you somewhere quiet where and private where that can happen. And I'm so glad it did because it gave some of the living uninjury people today 
the opportunity to share their knowledge, share their thoughts, share their stories. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just super special that, uh, that we've been able to be a part of that. And then at the very end, working with the wonderful team, um, behind the podcast and being able to do such a successful launch. The, uh, the people that attended were very impressed with the results of the podcast, but also it was great to actually be able to show off the library of our work and the efforts of my team to be able to have such an event happen in that space. It, uh, yeah, it was a true thrill. Absolutely. Um, and so that's, I guess, looking at the, uh, the importance of culture. Um, like one, one of the things that we can possibly lose is we can lose, we can still have these people, these descendants of these people that once lived in these particular ways and shared the, these stories and, uh, and the, um, the dances and the songs. But the, if you, if you lose that language, uh, it's like the, um, we've got a, another, like a small country township, probably about half an hour away from Murray Bridge where I live, which has a, uh, an indigenous name. And there are street names that are named after in, indigenous people. Or there's um, something to do with that particular culture, that particular group. But the people that know that language have all been moved on, and the language has been forgotten. Or the people that know that language have died off. The um, the elders, the ancestors, the um, the the language is literally no more. It's been eradicated, wiped out. And so these, uh, these, these stories, the, the meanings of these words, they're just street names now or, uh, or place names now. There's, there's no connotation, no concept as to, to what it all means. That's lost. That's completely gone. And so, um, the, you know, the deep, sadness of that the, the fact that this could possibly happen to uh, all indigenous groups or in the, in the end it could happen to our own society but it's we've, we've got to keep talking we've got to keep listening we've got to keep making that happen um it's, yeah, it's just so important that we, we make, make this a priority to continue culture. And then also, um, on the topic of culture, it's very, very important to me that my organization, the, the council that I work for is also looking at culture. It's looking at our workplace culture, um, and the, the negativity that's surrounding that, the fact that we're trying to promote ourselves as one team 
one council, one organisation, uh, and yet we've got these little silos that we're trying to break down, we're trying to bring everybody together, um, and time and time and time again, people revert back to the stories that they know, the stories that they remember. Um, when new staff come on board, we've got uh, a brand new trainee that started up at the library, and they hear from staff, they hear from members of my team, um, and sadly on occasion I catch myself that they hear from me as well, these stories of, oh yes, it's wonderful, all of these things that are happening fresh and new, but in the past, this was what happened. In the past, we didn't really get much support from uh, anywhere outside. There was the, the heart of the council. The, the heart of the council is the, uh, the local government centre. And then from the heart, there should extend the, um, the services, the, the, the contact, the interest, um, so that everybody feels like they're a, a part of the one team, the one body. But time and time and time again, you find, you feel like the, um, the, the heart of the organization is the be all and end all and that the, there are certain sites which get more attention or more interest or more support than, uh, than others. So, uh, I think it was, uh, that was a, a huge thrill for us yesterday with the podcast launch event that we ran, that we literally had my manager, my manager's manager, and the CEO, or acting CEO, the whoever, like, every single facet of council, every, every level of the hierarchy was covered off <coughs> with that, with the attendance at that one event. The um, the stories that the elders were were telling about the the echo of the loss of the uh, the members of their family that went to war, uh, World War One, all those many many years ago, the so-called Great War, the the ripple effect of that loss for the Nunnery at that time but then the generations after to come as well. I think it was incredible that the members of parliament, that the members of community, but then also the, the hierarchy within council were able to hear that story, hear all of those stories that were shared on that day and to be able to experience, um, experience the smoking ceremony done by, uh, by Uncle Moogie. Um, I think it was uh, an incredibly spiritual moment to actually stand there beside him and see and feel the smoke and hear the words that he was saying. Um, but what else was thrilling for me was the fact that I had that ability to pick up, I know that word, I know that, that context, that connotation, I know kind of what that means. Um, 
in in the Nanjari language, I've picked that up. I uh, I understand. I I um, not exactly. My my Nanjari is still very very rusty. Uh, but the the experience that I have had with the elders, with the storytellers, the 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 times when I've heard them say say those words and uh, I it's not a foreign language to me anymore. Not not an entirely foreign language anyway. So that yeah, that that was a that was a thrill for me. Um it's so like it's it's funny sitting here in the heart of the city and actually hearing the traffic and hearing the the industrialness of uh, of the area where I'm in. Um, this is probably the, the quietest spot that I've been able to find, unfortunately. But the the ability to oh the sorry the the experience only yesterday. Which touched me so deeply the the whole the, the manic the the duck scenario of madly paddling under the water trying to get things in place um popping the the chairs up by the rotunda so that we could have the smoking ceremony only for the the weather to turn. Because we're now well, in the in the the beginnings of winter, so um, yeah, to have that that weather turn and have the wind blow harshly. Um, poor Uncle Moogie saying, "Look, for for smoke you need fire, and if you want fire, fire and wind don't mix well at all. If you want a a controlled." Um, a, a scenario that doesn't get out of control. That Uncle Moogie was hilarious. He's, he's got a wicked sense of humor. And he was saying, look, um, we can do it up here. We can do it with the wind blowing. If, if it does burn, what, what's, I said, look, Uncle Moogie, let me worry about that. Uh, if something does happen, I'll, I have my contingency plan, I'll, I'll follow it up, I'll sort it out. No worries. But he said, oh yeah, but what about if the coals sort of blow and then catch on the, the garden or they sort of blow down the river, um, over, over the cliff where the, uh, the grass is growing and that sort of thing. And I said, uh, uh, and he slapped me on the arm and he said, you know what? You can worry about that too. I'm like, yeah, thanks, that would be there. Thanks a lot. He's a very thoughtful man, though. When we did eventually bring it down, we brought, like, we had an alcove outside of the library which we could use. So uh, we had this great Scottish piper. It was oh, just a, a beautiful magic moment uh, that lasted for hours and hours and hours. It was, yeah, it was inc incredibly special. Very, very special. Uh, and that's what we're, we're celebrating. We're, we were celebrating life. We were commiserating loss, but we were also celebrating culture and an opportunity to expose culture to the community. And 
to encourage understanding because it's human nature often to um, suspect, to distrust that which we do not understand. It's just natural, normal. It's a um, like a protective instinct, I suppose. So yes, it's uh, it's that's that's why I think it's so important, such an honour to be able to be the site, one of the sites uh, that is able to give the community the opportunity to learn more, to get that exposure, to get that understanding of what it is that the Ngunnawal people can give, are willing to share, and, and the, the stories, the songs, the dances, the, the experiences. And I think it's great that uh, as a nation, we seem to be more embracing and wanting to bring to the forefront and bring into the limelight our past and our rich history. Because it's a lot more than European settlement. And that's the other thing. We've, uh, we've got this wonderful area of, uh, of the library called the local history area. And it's, uh, it's been wonderful for me as the team leader of the library service there to be able to work with the, uh, the indigenous to be able to bring more of that past, that rich past, that rich history into what we display in our local history area because it it's not the architect's fault when they designed the library but they were very short-sighted in thinking oh we'll talk to the historical society we'll have a look around at what council has displayed as historically evident but they didn't Check in with the Nunnery, with our local. Um, the, there was no consultation with them about what historical evidence, what key figures there there are from uh, from our local community, from from our uh, from our rich past, our rich history, even at a local level. And so, thankfully, um, a couple of years ago, there's a big project that they've actually updated the historical wall. And, uh, yeah, it was great that we had the opportunity to show that off yesterday as well to, um, to those that came along to the podcast launch event. So there's lots of facets of, of culture, lots of sources of, uh, of storytelling, uh, and yeah, it's just, it's wonderful that, um, that we were able to be that, uh, that launch pad, that, uh, that source of truth that day. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it will be able to happen a lot more often. So on to, um, more of what's happening with, uh, Darkness Publishing. Of course, don't forget that the top 11 
will soon be coming at the top five, I believe, in the Open Contract Challenge. So hopefully those 11 uh, that have made it through, I know um, I've sent through my first chapter already and uh, my author image is up there along with so many others. I reckon we're just waiting on one more author image uh, and I'm sure that as people are submitting their author images, they're also putting through their first chapters. Uh, I know uh, James, I know Dawn, I know Jim. Um, a lot of tough competition there. Some great familiar names uh, and faces from uh, the World of Myth magazine. Numerous short stories, longer stories, travels, uh, flash, poetry. Uh, some very, very, very clever writers are, uh, are in that mix. It's, uh, it's going to be a very, very tough year, uh, as it should be, the fifth year of the Open Contracts Challenge, where um, it has been announced, of course, that the first prize has been changed from a paperback book publication and an e-book publication. Uh, the paperback has now been updated to be a hardback, which I think is uh, for a, a librarian. It's um, very, very, very special to uh, to actually hear the, uh, the hardback seems to last longer, uh, and it looks nicer. I guess it's sort of it's got that shiny element to it. Uh, I I have to say I love my um, my copy of the neighbour. That I've uh, I've got uh, from uh, M Kids Press, my children's book, my children's novel. That's uh, that's out now. Uh, you can find that on MythMark.com, along with a whole bunch of other great children's books, books for adults, and books for teens as well. It's got there's something for everyone there. Poetry, uh, really uh, dark stuff, heartfelt stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy with, um, there's a few, few copies of, uh, of The Neighbor, which, uh, which have already been bought and received and read and enjoyed, which, uh, which I'm thrilled about. I've, uh, I've shared it with my daughters, my, uh, my greatest supporters and greatest critics. And, uh, I'm thrilled that they, uh, they loved it. We, uh, we read it over two nights. I started reading chapter one and got to the end of chapter one and then got asked for more and more and more. We got to chapter three and it was bedtime. And then uh, a couple of days later, we got back on to chapter four and then chapter five. And um, one of my daughters was saying, oh, I wanted to read more of The Neighbor. And then I realized, sadly, that, uh, that we've finished the story already. So that just spurs me on. That just pushes me to, uh, to start writing the, um, the idea that I've got for the sequel. So I'm hoping that if I, uh, I manage to pull my finger out, I'm hoping that I will be able to, um, to start, start on that and get something in for June. So, uh, so that that will make it to the October edition of the new E version of the World of Myth magazine. Uh, and as you all know, of course, uh, 
submissions have to be in for the October edition. They have to be in by the 15th of June. And the September edition and the October edition and all following editions will, of course, be coming out in, uh, in ebook format on your, um, your ebook platforms, which should be, uh, yeah, should be really cool to see. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the, the readability. I'm sure uh, that it will uh, it will flow very well. Whereas the website, of course, when I was reviewing the website, I'd be going in and out and in and out, um, and it was a challenge to to actually fit things to the page. Things would sort of expand out and that sort of thing. Um, but it's going to be really really cool to actually see the um, download the ebook. Which is going to be free, the e e magazine, and um, yeah, being able to start flipping through that and reviewing the different pieces and uh, and that sort of thing. So I'm uh, I'm really thrilled about that. And we're counting down. So this is episode 226. We're counting towards episode 250. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, I'll have to get uh, get in touch with my mate David K Montoya and see if. Um, Stephanie J. Barty is, uh, is available along with a few others that have been the, uh, initial, uh, world of myth bits creators, podcasters. I'm hoping that, uh, that somehow, some way we will be able to get the gang all back together. So, uh, with any luck, that'll happen. I'm curious actually, I know, um, Steph's sort of branched out to uh, to a couple of other podcasts for uh, for the magazine too, which is great, um, and also doing a lot of writing and, and such. But I'd be curious to find out what it is that the other people that have been involved in the podcast have been up to. And also, I reckon it would be a, a bit of a thrill. I uh, I've been interviewed by. Um, have the uh, the MythMaster before, and um, yeah, it would be a, a bit of a thrill to see if we can get in in for uh, for a bit of a special appearance as well. I don't know about you, but uh, being eaten by dinosaurs was uh, one of the greatest thrills of my entire life. Uh, a bit of a giggle and a, a great way to promote yourself as a as a writer as an author. Uh, as a poet, um, because it all comes down to once you've written a story, once you've published the book, it all comes down to your ability to be able to market yourself, finding that way to be able to stand up in front of the crowd, whether it's physical or digital, uh, and actually getting your beyond friends and family getting society, getting the, the world at large interested in who you are and what it is that you're writing and what it is that you've got on the market that you're, um, you're, you're wanting to sell. If you can get that right, you're well on your way to um, becoming that, uh, that entrepreneurial writer that can, that can write for life, write to pay the bills, write to make 
their riches in the world. Um, and if you can do that, please tell us how, because uh, I love my job as a uh, working for a local library, for a community library. I uh, I love my job and I love the team that I get to work with. Um, but it would be an absolute thrill to be able to turn around and say, what do you do for a living? I'm a writer. That's it. Bare bones, nothing more, nothing less. Being able to dedicate that time to writing stories, publishing stories, sharing that, that joy, that experience, um, and doing it over and over and over again, I think, will be incredible. And that's, that's everybody's dream, I think, to, to make that happen. Uh, I mean, I don't know if we all want to be a James Patterson and sort of make our, our millions and churn out book after book after book after book, but I think to be able to make yourself a household name to, um, yeah, to be able to establish yourself as a, a writer with more than just friends and family, I think will be, yeah, a, a really, really cool thing to do. So, just to finish off, I'm wondering what it is that everybody's working on at the moment. I've got a number of different projects um, for um, World of Myth that uh, that I want to, to look at. I've also got something that um, that I'm really struggling to work on for uh, for another company. It's the the story that you're dedicated to write that's that is kind of flowing, but there's not enough time to dedicate to actually get the ideas down onto paper. So yeah, I've I've really got to sort of knuckle down and um, and make that happen uh, as as quickly as I can. Um, it's actually the first draft is due today. But I'm looking forward to actually caressing it and uh, and improving the my delivery of the story I've, I've got my in, initial ideas and my concept I was so proud of the concept that I sort of put forward and it was very quickly snapped up by these people that are, are running the, the projects great wonderful people that are supporting authors and supporting writers uh, and I'm I'm thrilled to be a part of this this wonderful project that I've got going on, um, but I um, I'm finding that you've got that stretch of time way out out ahead of you. It's, it was like the my initial it was like my initial thoughts with um, the change of the world of myth magazine from the website to the e platform. I, I could have sworn, I don't know how I got that mixed up, but I could have sworn that we had until September to, to get our submissions in, or, um, yeah, just, just before, so it would have been like mid, mid, mid August, I thought, that we had, uh, and I thought I've got tons of time, I'll, I'll be able to, um, 
to, to smash out a, a number of different pieces and give them the dedication that they properly need to be good, solid stories. And, uh, and sadly, the, um, I got the news from our chief, uh, chief editor, uh, Looper, that, um, no, 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 the, the September stories and poems and, and pictures, uh, for the gallery all needed to be in by, um, mid-May. And so it was a mad scrambling to, uh, to actually try and get those done. And then to, um, to hear from, from Looper, oh yes, and we're after June, mid-June, you need to get your stuff in for October by mid-June, and then of course mid-July will be November, and mid-August will be December, and it will sort of all flow on from there. I'm like, ah, oh, now the penny drops, now it starts to make sense. Ah, oh. so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that I actually got that before it was too late before the the middle of, middle of May rolled around and all of a sudden I discovered, you know what, you haven't sent anything, you're not going to get anything published. And it's like, oh no, what a disaster. Uh, and I hope that my encouraging people to take that time to submit uh, didn't muck people up. And um, I hope that all of you actually realised when the due dates actually were for um, four different pieces and four the different magazines, because uh, I would hate to uh, to think that um, uh, I shot not only myself in the foot, but of uh, so many others. So um, I uh, I guess we um, we can finish off this edition sort of. Thinking about our own local indigenous people and our own local cultures and that sort of thing. What, what makes our community so special and looking beyond our own personal influences, what is it that others are sort of bringing in to, um, to be able to enhance and enrich that culture? Um, yeah, this one here is, uh, is obviously a, uh, a bit of a shorter episode. It's, uh, it's chock full of passion though. So, uh, so hopefully, Dave, you can sort of massage it and, uh, and work your magic and turn it into, uh, to something beautiful like you always do. Bye for now. This is Tim signing off. Focus on culture and get that writing, and jump onto mythmart.com and check it out.